Welcome to the Grace Baptist Church podcast, and thanks for joining us for this episode. Before we begin, please take a moment to subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen to podcasts. If you enjoy this content, please don't hesitate to leave us a five-star review and share this podcast with your friends. We'd like to extend an invitation to you and your family to join us for worship this week at Grace Baptist Church. We'd also love to connect with you online at gracekettering.org. Thanks again for joining us and enjoy the episode. Don't bite and devour one another. It's no good when we bite and devour one another. And that's the, that's the truth. You know that word bite and devour one another in that passage of scripture has the idea, I've shown this before, um, it has the idea of a snake overtaking a, uh, a rat, like completely opening its jaw. And that's the picture that God uses when Christians get at each other. That's quite a, that's quite a nasty picture. And so we don't want to do that, certainly not, in all that we do. And you know what? It's, uh, God, God isn't just impressed with talent and all those things. You know, it, that song mentions about diction and having all this. We can, we can sing perfectly and uh, not have a right heart. We certainly want to want to have a right heart in all that we do. Let's stand together. Titus chapter number 1 and verse number 5. Titus chapter number 1 and verse number 5. I'm just amazed that you remembered all those words. I would have gotten mixed up on, on where, where those guys were in that chorus there. I just I, I wouldn't have been able to keep that together. All right, Titus chapter number 1 and verse number 5. It's good to laugh in the house of the Lord and uh, thankful for his goodness to us and giving us a sense of humor. Verse number 5, for this cause I left thee in Crete. Who's that? Titus. Uh, Paul speaking to Titus said, Thou shouldest set in order the things that are wanting and ordain elders in every city as I appointed thee. Now, if any be blameless, the husband of one wife, having faithful children, not accused of riot or unruly, for a bishop must be blameless as the steward of God, not self-willed, not soon angry, not given to wine nor striker, not given to filthy lucre, but a lover of hospitality, a lover of good men, sober, just, holy, temperate, holding fast the faithful word as he hath been taught, that he may be able by sound doctrine both to exhort and to convince the gainsayer. So the first thing that Titus was to do as he was in that in the area of Crete, the island nation of Crete, was to deal with this matter of setting up on leadership, and leadership needed uh, qualifications. And we find this here in the book of Titus, or the letter to Titus, as well in 1 Timothy, and we'll note that on this evening. I, I realize that I did not have the missions letter, uh, letter read tonight, and so we'll have that read at the end of the service. Just please uh, help me remember by coming up to the front at the end of the service. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Father, we do just give you praise for the fact that we can have sweet unity in this place. We, we want you, by your Holy Spirit, to direct any any division, to, to search it out, to deal with it, and we want to have a heart of forgiveness for one another. We want sweet harmony in this place because it honors you. And so we give you praise for what you have been doing, and we ask you now to direct our attention to this passage of Scripture, quiet our hearts, free us from distraction, and would you guide us 
with your truth, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. And you may be seated. So as we consider a healthy church, uh, Titus is responsible for leading in that. He can't force that. He can't make that. But he can certainly lead in that matter. And we find here tonight, as he, he started off with really dealing with what are the members of a healthy church, what are the different components of a healthy church, what is the order of a healthy church. But tonight, the pastor in a healthy church, I told you last week that I'd be speaking about my role here. But I want us to remember this. Paul told Timothy... Uh, be thou, he was, a tim uh, he was a pastor, be thou an example of the believers in word, in conversation, in charity, in spirit, in faith, in purity. Just remember this, that Timothy was to be the example to the flock. And if he was the exemplify, if you'll turn over there for a moment, if he was the exemplify in 1 Timothy chapter number 3, the qualifications of a bishop, uh, understand this, that the, the members, the people of God, were to be developing these within their own lives. So he wasn't just to be an example that no one followed. He was to be a visible example that people could follow and say, you know what, I see that in Timothy's life. I see that in Titus's life. I want that to be true in my life. What did Paul tell the Corinthian believers? Follow me as I... All right, oh, let's try that again. Follow me as I... Follow Christ. Uh, well, we still have about half the congregation not engaging tonight. Let's uh, help out. Follow me as I... Very good, very good. And so you help me out as we preach, uh, preach through here tonight. And so I want us to understand um, 1 Timothy chapter 3, and I want us to read these. I want us to see the other account of the qualifications, though we won't break this one down. This is a true saying. If any man desire the office of a bishop, he desireth, he desireth, he desireth a good work. That word desire is the same word that, from which we get the idea of lust. Although it's a, good, it's a good desire, but it is a passion, it's a desire. God implants that upon a person's heart, upon a man's heart. A bishop, verse number two, then must be blameless, the husband of one wife, vigilant, sober, a, of good behavior, given to hospitality, apt to teach, not given to wine, nor, no striker, not greedy, of filthy lucre, but patient, not a brawler, not covetous, one that ruleth his own house, uh, well his own house, having his children in subjection with all gravity. For if a man know not how to rule his own house, how shall he take care of the church of God? Not a novice, lest being lifted up with pride he fall into the condemnation of the devil. Moreover, he must have a good report of them which are without, lest he fall in reproach or shame and the snare of the devil. So here we have... Uh, Timothy has been told, here are the qualifications. Titus has now been told, as you go set the leadership, here are the qualifications. Let's break those down. What were those qualifications that were required for these churches in these different cities throughout the island nation of Crete? First of all, notice that this pastor, this bishop, was to be faithful in his personal matters. Faithful in his personal matters. He was to be a, a man who was faithful in, in, in his personal conduct, in his, uh, the affairs of his life. Maybe that no one saw publicly, but in the affairs of his life. Unless you think that this message has no bearing upon you, friends, there are churches that do have to seek out a new pastor. If I don't live throughout this week, you will be seeking out a new pastor. If God calls me into a different place, you will have to seek out a new pastor, and you better know what you're looking for. Are you with me? This is in the Word of God. We need it. I'm not, I'm not infinite. I'm not immortal. 
So we need to take heed to the doctrine, which is, yes, even when God says, hey, this is what the qualifications of a pastor are. And so you also need to know this, and this is really what I would, I would, I would desire of you, is that you know this so that you know how to pray for me more specifically. Are you with me on that? So, so let's, let's break this down. He needs to be faithful in his personal matters as a man. Notice it says in verse number six, if any, be blameless. Titus, if you're going to look at any, you first need to note that whether or not he is blameless. What's the idea of blameless? Unaccusable. Unaccusable. The idea of not being able to get a handle on, uh, deserve, uh, not deserving uh, uh, criticism for wrongdoing. He's above reproach is the idea. It's not that he's perfect, but he is above reproach. His conduct as one man should be irre- uh, irreprehensible, irreproachable. Undoubtedly, it means that if any charge could be brought against him, implying moral, uh, moral problems, uh, he, uh, that, that, uh, that he would not be fit for, the, uh, fit for the office, he should be a man of irreproachable character, truth, honesty, chastity, and general uprightness. We're talking about his character, who he is as a man. He needs to be faithful in this matter. I think back to the Old Testament. You think of Eli. What did Eli do wrong? What was one of the, Eli's glaring uh, 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 characteristics that just undermined his ministry? And what specifically did God say about his sons? Uh, about his response to his sons? He didn't, he didn't stop them. Even as grown men, they were, they were committing immorality right, uh, right around the temple, and he was not stopping it. And so we have a who, uh, who, who was uh, struggling in that way. He was not blameless. There was much reproach. I find that we, uh, uh, in, uh, in, in the book of Samuel, uh, Samuel himself was struggling in that, that matter. And uh, I think also of David, uh, when he sinned with Bathsheba, the Bible says that he gave reason to the enemies of God to blaspheme the name of God. What is this? This is all, this is all a, a loss of blamelessness. And so I, I just say right off the, uh, off the get-go here, pray for me that the Lord would help me to walk with him in such a way that my life would be irrepro- uh, irreproachable. And by the way, that's a high standard. But God places that upon the office of the pastor. And, and much of that happens as, as I would seek the Lord and walk with him. That's, that's, the Lord is going to keep me in that path. He's going to keep leading me in, in, in pleasing him and then pleasing, uh, pleasing him before others. And so as a man, as a Christian, as a follower of God, blameless, but notice the husband of one wife is what comes along. The husband of one wife. Literally, the idea of this is a one-woman man. A one-woman man. This is not saying he can't have, you know, uh, have one wife at a time. It is one-woman man. He, is, he has a heart that is towards one, one woman. And so uh, we're, we're speaking here, not a divorced man, and I'm not, I'm not casting aspersions on, on a person, and maybe you're here tonight and you've been through a divorce, you understand the, the hurt and the heartache that goes along with that. But li- listen, uh, God says, hey, this needs to be a, a one-woman man, a man whose heart is towards one woman and not seeking the attention of other women, and also all about his wife. Now, I want us to think about that for a moment. The Bible tells all of us, all of us, Likewise, I should say, all of us husbands, and all the husbands say, all right, likewise, all ye husbands, dwell with them according to knowledge, giving honor unto the wife as unto the weaker vessel, and as being heirs together of the grace of life, that your prayers be not hindered. Well, the pastor needs to lead the way in that. He needs to lead the way in knowing his wife and 
and, and, and being a one-woman man in that way, but God wants us all, guys, all of us, to be that way. But just like Timothy, be thou an example in all your conversation, yes, even in your marriage. Husbands, love your wives. Let's say that together, guys, good and loud. Husbands, love your wives, even as Christ also loved the church and gave himself for it. Now, the church can get another pastor, but the pastor can't get another wife. So I, as I was once asked, I believe uh, when, when the church was asking me questions, it might have been the only question I got uh, on that night um, um, publicly. Certainly there was a lot of questions otherwise, um, but it was, it was right about, about that subject. What about, what about caring for your wife? What's, what's your first ministry? And uh, the fact is the church, Grace Baptist Church, can get another pastor, but I cannot get another wife. And my first obligation is to her and to, and to, to caring for her and there are times where I've had to let some other things go in order to honor God in that, that way. And the Lord has given me a wife that loves the ministry, is called to the ministry as much as I am. And uh, if you've not heard that story about how the Lord called her into ministry, uh, it's, it's amazing to me that the Lord touched in her, her heart before she even knew I was interested in her and had touched in her heart that she would be a pastor's wife. And friends, listen, this matter, uh, the Bible says here, a one-woman man. I want to just take the opportunity right here to say my heart is towards my wife. And uh, you know what? Over the years, there's been a lot of criticism that, that'll go towards her. That hurts us both. But God has given me a wife that has stood with me in this ministry and has loved this church and has loved this ministry. And I praise the Lord for her. And I praise the Lord for our, our relationship. And we intend to, uh, to continue to grow in that relationship. Certainly, I'm not perfect as a husband. I don't want one of you husbands to imagine that. I am not perfect as a husband. I have plenty of growing to do, and I, I want to. But the fact is here, it is required of a pastor to be a one-woman man. And uh, I, just, I also say this, you know what? Uh, when we had the pastors come in a few weeks ago for the pastor's fellowship, I asked the deacons, I said, could we bless the pastor's wives? Why? Because when you encourage the wife, you encourage the pastor. Because they, she bears a load that no woman, I'm, I, I'm sorry, this is, not, this is not, not, you know, being divisive or any way, but she bears a load that no other woman in a church will understand. She bears an emotional load that no one, no one will get because she sees she sees, uh, sees it. And friends, I just encourage you to pray for us in our marriage um, right there, that God will help us to stay strong in our marriage, help me to be all towards my wife, and, uh, and continue to, uh, to honor her as a gift of God that she is. By the way, did you know Sheila uh, means blessing? Did you know that? That's the name, That's the, and, and she is a blessing to me, and I appreciate that, and I thank God for her. But as a father as well, having faithful children not accused of riot or unruly. Now, I, I, I will say that uh, my, uh, my children are still on the, uh, on the sanctification pathway, um, as yours are too. But the idea here is that they're not, uh, they're not unruly. This is the same word that was used in verse number 10, for there are many unruly and vain talkers. The idea is just out of way out of order, uh, re uh, rebellious, rabble-rousers, and so on. So what God wants the pastor's children to be is faithful. Uh, they are well-trained. They're, they're in due subordination. This does not say that they should not be, they should not be uh, children. It says that they're in submission that is the idea, and that's what's brought up in 1 Timothy. And I'll say, I, I'd say this, you know, I thank the Lord for the spirit towards children that God has developed in our church. 
there is a wonderful spirit that welcomes children into this place and even allows my children to be children. Though at times, you know, I've, I've had you all to come and say, hey, your child did this, and I say thank you for telling me because that helps me parent, um, parent well. But the idea here is that the children are to be in su uh, subjection, that they're to be uh, well-charactered. And again, we bring up the illustration of Samuel's sons, of Eli's sons. They were not. And it, was, it, was, it brought reproach to the ministry there. And so my, ch uh, my, my first ministry is to my family. Um, and I want you to pray for me about that. I want you to pray that I will meet the needs of my, my children. I have kids that are stepping into those wonderful teen, uh, teenage years or preteen years. There's more challenges. And by the way, the questions that, uh, that are coming up are more challenging to answer and so forth. And I want you to pray for them that their hearts will stay towards the Lord and they'll be submitted in their hearts uh, towards the Lord. And let them know that you're praying for them in that, uh, that way. And so uh, who a man is in his personal matters is going to affect his public ministry. And so I want us to notice that. Uh, notice how that uh, in verse number seven, for the bishop must be blameless. So he's continuing on. He needs to be blameless, a husband of one wife, his children need to be in order, and so on. But it goes on, verse number seven, the bishop must be blameless as a steward of God. He's a servant of God. He's the manager of something that God owns. He, he, is, he is helping the Lord. He is, he is, he's working in that stewardship. It, uh, the church does not belong to the pastor. And everyone says, amen. It doesn't belong to you. And everyone says, right, it belongs to him. But it says he must be blameless as a steward of God. It's needful. It's required that he be, he be um, blameless. And so we find here that, uh, that the, the steward is an overseer. This is the idea of that, of that, uh, that bishop or that, that, that overseer of, of the flock. And I, I want us to realize as we go through verse number 7 and verse number 8, it was something very interesting to me about these qualifications. It is not a checklist of to-do items of action items. I want you to look at that in verse number seven with me, would you? Look at it. It says, for the bishop must be blameless as the steward of God, not self-willed, not soon angry, not given to wine, no striker, not given to filthy lucre, and we go on to the positives in verse number eight. But these are not action items like to-do items. Do this, and you're, 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 you're qualified to be a pastor. These are characteristics that are there, or we could say these are, these are qualities he needs to have. Notice it's it, kind of the idea of what he is to be, not necessarily do. His doing comes out of his being. So understand here, uh, first of all, what he should not be in verse number seven, not self-willed, not soon angry, and so on. So there's five negatives here that the bishop or the pastor is not to be. Titus, as you're looking for these individuals, make sure that he is not being these things, that he is not uh, characterized by these things. And so notice it says not self-willed. This is an interesting word only here in the New Testament, but it's the idea of to be self-complacent, kind of just there. But when there is a problem, uh, when there is an issue, he, he will work it up. He will kind of jump on it and, and make a, a dogfight over it and kind of whip up the situation. Um, he's, he'll get very dogmatic and, and, and impatient of contradiction, and he'll just uh, deal with it in that way. So not self-willed. It's the idea that he's complacent in his own life and even in his walk with God, but is very dogmatic and, and divisive and... and Paul tells Timothy, don't look for that type of individual. You don't want that. You want someone that's steady, that's submitted in their will to God, that's moving forward. Um, 
um, for the Lord. And so uh, that, that type of man is not going to um, be fit for the office of the minister of the gospel. He's not to be soon angry. He's not to be, uh, uh, have anger bubbling below the surface. He needs to deal with that. I can remember back, and I, 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 I didn't realize all that the Lord was doing, and I, I, I've told you about this before, but it was about the, at the, the point of college. I was known for my temper as a, a child and a teenager. I just flew off the handle all the time. And I was known for it, and people would, would, would ridicule me for that. God got a hold of me in my early college uh, years and dealt with me about that. And I remember he dealt with me specifically about my anger towards a specific person and, and dealing with that. And friends, uh, it, it's amazing how the Lord just, he dealt with that. And uh, it, it, it's a matter here, he says, of a bishop. He says, not, not soon angry, not just rushing to anger, not flying off the, the handle at the drop of a, a hat. And by the way, guys, every single guy deals with a matter of, of anger. It's a matter that we as guys, especially women aren't exempt from it, but we as guys especially um, deal with, and, and remember what's being said here, the pastor is not to be soon angry, but all of us are to be seeking after that. You with me, guys? You with me? Amen. One of you. Amen. All right. So the rest of you, let, let, uh, let's continue to strive forward for the Lord Jesus Christ in that area. Not given to wine. Uh, he's not a drunkard. Now, I, I just want to say a few things. I'd like to, I'd like to kick this dog every once in a while or every time I can because do you know what is uh, infiltrated into churches just like ours is the idea that Christians can drink and that it's okay. Now, the pastor isn't to be a drunkard. All right? I'm not to be eating rotten mangoes. All right? So you shouldn't have to be picking me up out of the, you know, out of the jail cell. Uh, I, I'm not to be a drunkard, okay? I haven't had a sip of alcohol. I don't intend to. And, uh, and people say, well, how can you minister to those? God, God told me to stay away from the stuff, and I'm going to stay away from it. And I can say with all authority, you're not going to find a passage in Scripture that, um, that gives you the right uh, to go forward in this. And we can run to Jesus. Jesus made wine. Jesus made wonderful, fresh, delicious grape juice, friends. He is not going to say in the book of Habakkuk, woe unto him that gives his neighbor drink and then create an alcoholic drink for a whole party. He's just not going to do that. If that's your Jesus, you're, you have a different concept of Jesus than the Bible portrays. I'm serious. Jesus doesn't contradict himself. And we have serious problems when we start looking at that. But uh, I want us to understand uh, the legal limit for drunkenness is a blood alcohol concentration, a BAC, of 0.08. Various aspects of impairment may be um, present with a blood alcohol uh, uh, concentration as low as 0.02. Basically, from your first sip, you start being buzzed. So drunkenness is not a cliff that you fall off of. I'm going to fall off the platform. I've heard people talk about this. Well, I can drink so many beers before I get buzzed, before I get drunk. No. From the moment you start drinking, it is a sliding scale of drunkenness. And we have bought into a lie, and many Christians are buying into, I'm, I'm telling you, churches just like ours just cave in on this. We've lost missionaries o- over this exact, exact issue, not being willing to preach what the Bible says about drunkenness on foreign fields. The Bible says stay away from the stuff. Uh, the Bible says wine is a mocker. Strong drink is raging. Whosoever is deceived thereby is not wise. The converse of that is a fool. 
Anyone that thinks they can, they can deal with wine and have it in your home and, and so forth, you are fooling yourself. And listen, as you drink in front of your kids, do you know what's going to happen? They're going to take it to another level. You are preparing them to, um, to step into drunkenness. You do not want to even go there. And I, as a pastor, am told, hey, you're not to be a drunkard. And I say to you as a, as a church family, let's not even allow this stuff in our homes. If you have it in your home, go pour it out and down the sink. Listen, I, if, if I were in the store while you were picking that stuff up, I guarantee you'd be ashamed about it. I guarantee. And you know what? Jesus sees what's in your cart. And he sees what's inside of your fridge. And he was the one that said, strong drink is raging. Whosoever is deceived thereby is not wise. By today's legal standards, a drink has to be 3.2% alcohol before it's classified as an alcoholic beverage. Modern alcoholic beverages have an alcohol content of 4 to 60%. Most beer is 4 to 7%. And you know what's amazing? When we look back to the Bible times, they had way less than that. In their, they would have had way less than that because they diluted the stuff. When we're talking about biblical, biblical fermentation, I mean, it was way less. We're not even, it's not apples to apples, friends. Today's alcohol is all off limits, according to the Bible. It is all strong drink. And it shouldn't be in our homes. I'll just keep on preaching as long as we don't get amens all across the board. I, I mean, the, the, the fact is, this will destroy your lives. Some of you know it because you've come out of it. It is nothing to be messing around with. And you know what? I'm going to keep standing here. I, I've had people that have come into our, our congregation, and we've, I've tried to uh, meet with, uh, meet with, um, meet with, uh, them to help them understand why but you know i've had people in this in this in this day they're not they don't like this type of talk but friends i'm not i am not willing to back down on this matter i had someone tell me i've never heard someone be that authoritative a couple of months back that authoritative on on the subject of alcohol it's in the bible friends don't give your neighbor drink uh what does the bible say ephesians 5 and verse number 18 be not drunk with wine. Wherein is excess? You know what excess means? It is not a quantity. Excess is, is, is uh, the, the, the openness or the gateways, the idea of all debauchery. So what God says, the reason you shouldn't be drunk with wine is because it is the gateway is what leads you to every bit of debauchery. You don't want a preacher that's drinking. You don't want a preacher that's drinking then counseling you how to keep your marriage together. Right? So here's, here's the matter. Uh, this, this, this issue of alcohol has infiltrated uh, years ago, and I don't want to digress too much here, but I, I do want us to be firm on this. Uh, years ago when I was in college, 2004, a preacher came in and preached about alcohol to a Baptist, to a Baptist college of preachers. And I thought, where does this guy get off? Like, I don't understand them. He's still in the ministry today and still preaching for the Lord. Some of his kids have come through our, our church and preached, uh, preached here or presented their ministries here. And I thought, where do you, you know what? I got out of college and started realizing this was a present hot issue right to circles. I thought, this is, this is really crazy that we are debating and, 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 and fooling around with, with the devil's drink. We ought not. We ought not in any way. This is a little bit personal to me. My family came over from, um, from Germany. Uh, the name 
Kagan, used to be Kagi in Germany, and uh, it, it, it stands for, the name means the maker of kegs. That's what it means. And, uh, but uh, years, years ago, my, my family, grandfathers, owned a Milwaukee brewery. And uh, my grandma uh, passed away, and I, I feel like it's, I don't know, it's three year, uh, 2018, 2017, somewhere in there. My grandma passed away, and there were still bottles of beer down in her basement from that brewery. And uh, all over Milwaukee, you can smell, you can smell the awful smell of, of the breweries. I remember going to Souls Harbor Baptist Church, and right across the freeway there on 45, you could see the breweries, and it just, you walk out of church, and it would just hit you on a hot summer day. It's like, whoa, that is strong, but all over. And, and by the way, it hasn't elevated righteousness in that, in that city at all. Alcohol hasn't elevated righteousness anywhere it's been. It doesn't, because it's the gateway to all debauchery. And so um, after my, my grandma passed away, my, my dad, we were over in Indiana, my dad gathered us all around, and we took those bottles, and we broke them at my, at my grandma's house, and we poured them out. And uh, yeah, it probably was as a relic valuable, but we poured them out. Boy, did it stink. Boy, did it stink. And we prayed that that would never enter again into our family and that God would restore the families that were damaged by our families um, giving them drink. And friends, I'm telling you, this is not a matter to be messing around with. There's, there's people out, outside here that are going to hell trapped, trapped in drunkenness. And you say, where do you get off uh, on all this? Listen, I'm not supposed to drink and I'm supposed to lead you not to drink. All right, so let's, I, I'm serious, I am dead serious. If you have alcohol at home, go home and pour it out. And if you need help getting past it, it is, it is time. It is time to, um, to deal with it. I will love you, I'm not, gonna, I'm not gonna embarrass you, but I'll help you get, uh, get past it uh, with God's help. And so it's, it, is, it is so very important that we understand what we are dealing with today, and the alcohol is nowhere, it is not even nearly the same of what they were dealing with in the Bible. The alcohol content is so much higher. All of it is strong drink. The Bible says to, to not be even looking at it. Strong drink is raging. Whosoever is deceived thereby is not wise. Pastor is not to be a striker, not to be a striker, not to be a bully or violent. He's not to be greedy of, or given to filthy leaker, uh, lucre, not leaker, uh, lucre, all right? Uh, he is not to be given over to greedy gain. So the idea is he will do anything to get a buck. He will do anything. No, that's not what the pastor is to be. He's not to be fond of dishonest gain. And so this is what the preacher should not be. Someone has once said, and I'll throw this out to you, that preachers either mess up with wine, women, or wealth. Wine, women, or wealth. And in all these, he, it, it says, hey, don't be this. Don't be this. Don't let this be the characteristic. But what should the pastor be positively? What should he be positively? He is to be a lover of hospitality, a lover of good men, uh, sober, just, holy, and temperate. These six, these six positive characteristics. He's to be a lover of hospitality. What's that the idea of? He is to, he is to love uh, engaging and treating guests and stra uh, strangers with a cordial and generous uh, attitude. He is to it, love that. It's not something he does grudgingly. First Peter 4 and verse number 9 tells us all to use hospitality to one another without grudging. So he is to love that. And he is also to love good men. He's a love good men, uh, loving that which is good, uh, loving being around those that are good, not hanging out with the wrong crowd. 
uh, but he's to be a lover of good men. He's to be a, 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 uh, someone that is just, uh, just appreciates that. Now, that's only used here in the, in the New Testament. He's to be a lover of good men. But then sober. He's to be moderate. Uh, he is to have self-control over his passions and desires. He's to be sober, have sober-mindedness, not always always joking, uh, joking around and, 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 and sober in his, in his thinking. Have you ever been around a person that never can get serious? Isn't it annoying to get around a pastor, a spiritual leader that can never get serious? By the way, typically that, that, that's a, a good red flag for a problem in a person's life and in a pastor's life. When there's always sarcasm. Friends, we do amazing things to mask the issues that we're not dealing with inside. And sarcasm is one of those, one of those ways that is just a red flag. Something's not right inside the heart. Something's not right. And so he is to be sober, but just. He's to be righteous, characterized by, uh, by uh, what God says is, is the standard of morality and justice. He is to be uh, righteous in all of his dealings and, his, and in the way that he goes about his public ministry. He is to be holy, pure, all one towards God. Uh, he is to be temperate. That is self-controlled. and Yes, even self-controlled in, in all of his desires, he, especially in sensual desires. He is to be self controlled and he is to be resolute and controlling himself paul says i keep under my body daily that's the idea and so the pastor is to have the that those qualities he's to be this this is the pastor's character but notice how the pastor's personal life or personal matters flows into his public ministry and you can't keep that out of his public uh, his uh, his pulpit ministry his public um pulpit ministry and notice this in verse number nine how is he now to handle the word of God? Friends, our lives, the pastor's life, needs to be able to be a conversation that upholds the preaching ministry. So he's not to be uh, saying one thing and then and doing another. Paul said, I, I really fear. I really fear about this matter of preaching and then myself being a castaway, of not following through on what, uh, on what I've been preaching when I preach to others. And so here it is. He's to be faithful in his preaching ministry or his pulpit ministry. His stand on God's word is to be one of reverence and one of, of firm conviction. Notice this word in verse number nine, holding fast. He's grounded in it. He's devoted to it. Uh, Paul told Timothy to give himself to reading and to doctrine. Uh, he's to give attention to it. And so it's the idea of holding fast. He's giving himself entirely to the word, entirely to the, to the, uh, to the sound doctrine, the faithful words that he's been, been taught. 2 Timothy 1, verse number 13, hold fast the form, the form, the outline, the, the, uh, the, 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 the rigid nature of the sound words which thou hast heard of me in faith and love which is in uh, Christ Jesus. So as he's been taught, he is to take this. Now, here's the amazing thing about this. Uh, Timothy and Titus were not to be guys that are just kind of uh, waffling in the breeze. And Paul says, as you've been taught, I've taught you these things. In fact, I want to turn back to, uh, to 2 Timothy, uh, verse number, and I'm looking for it. And I shouldn't have done this because I'm going to be looking all night. But he talks about how that, uh, Timothy had seen his life, his manner of conduct. He'd also seen his words. He had seen his words and how he preached and, and declared the doctrine. And I just want us to understand that as Titus had been taught and as Timothy had been taught, they were to stay firm to that. This wasn't something that Paul just had an opinion on. They were to stand firm uh, to that, and they were to not vacillate back and forth. What's amazing to me is how many times that 
that, that my generation is just kind of sticking their finger in the air and just kind of going every which way. Well, I used to believe that. I, I used to be, uh, not be okay with that. And it's amazing. I have friends that I started out as friends in, the, in pastoral ministry, and they've changed in even five years. They've changed so much that we, we don't have a whole lot in common. They've changed their philosophy. They've gone back on what, what they were taught. Oh, the pastor is to be firm in that. He's to hold fast the, 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 uh, the words, of, uh, the faithful word. He's to hold fast. He's to stand strong on it. Now, uh, the word elder has the idea of, of one who is spiritually mature, and that is also being a, a term that is used for the pastor in the Bible, um, not a novice. So in his, his handling of the word of God or his stand in the word of God, he is to be spiritually mature. He is to, to be able to, uh, uh, to, to take the word of God, apply it to his own life, but uh, to handle it with spiritual maturity, to have a right attitude towards it in that way. And so he's not to be double-minded. He's this way uh, uh, when he's around God's people and this way when he's out and about. He changes. No, he's not to vacillate. He's to hold fast to it. By the way, this is true for all of us, but a double-minded man is unstable in all of his ways. We don't want a double-minded pastor. We don't want double-minded Christians. And so how important it is that we, we are standing fast, that the pastor is standing fast. Does he reverence the word of God as his foundation and authority? Is, is it my opinion or is it, is it the word of God? This is the authority. This is the authority. And if God's word says it, we need to follow it. We need to do it step forward by faith. So his stand on the word of God, but then in speaking of the word of God, look at verse number nine, that he may be able by sound doctrine, by correct teaching, taking the Bible truths and, and teaching them both to exhort and convince the uh, gainsayers. So he is to exhort, he's to encourage, he's to come alongside and say, hey, let's, let's go forward for the Lord. Uh, similar to what I've, just, uh, what I've just done about this matter of drinking, to encourage, hey, hey, let's, let's do the right thing here. Even though it might not be popularly acceptable, let's do the right thing here. Let's exhort and go, uh, go on our, our way. And this is to be something that he's doing constantly, constantly encouraging a response or an action of following God. And so Timothy was told to preach the word, be instant, season, out of season, reprove, rebuke, exhort with all long suffering and doctrine, but he's also to be able to convince the gainsayer, to be able to argue for uh, and, and sternly admonish uh, with the truth of God's word, with the doctrine of God's word. He's to be able to, to say, this is God's word. We're not backing down from it. And now you have a decision to make. And so exhorting would be more that encouraging me. The, the, the convince is more this, this idea of sternly admonishing and, 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 and calling to have no fellowship with the unfruitful works of darkness, but rather reprove them is the idea, the same idea of this convince is sternly admonish them. What are these gainsayers, those that contradict? You know, there's people that contradict constantly. I, I can remember back to, uh, to times even in, in, in this church where I remember back when we... Um, We'd hear our um, Pastor Shaw preach, and he'd preach something. And, you know, I, I admire anybody that's, that's gone through a doctorate, uh, an earned doctorate in the Bible, don't you? Like, that's a whole lot of study. But, you know, every, once in a while, someone that, that hasn't done any school uh, on, 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 on Bible subjects would come up and say, I don't agree with you, that's just your opinion. You know what that is? That's a gainsayer. That's a gainsayer. I, I've watched young men go up against 
people 40 years in the ministry. I've had this happen even in, in this place. Watch young, young men go up against people 40 years in the ministry and, and, and say, what you're saying about the Bible isn't true. You know what those are? Gainsayers. Gainsayers. And you know what the pastor is responsible to do? Convince them, sternly admonish them. My admonishment to them is, you need to drop your pride. You need to take a, a humble pill. You need to be quiet. That, isn't, that attitude isn't welcome here. And so he is to be able to sternly admonish from a life that is standing on these, these, these principles. Um, Paul dealt with this in Acts 13, verse 45, but when the Jews saw the multitudes, they were filled with envy and spake against those things which were spoken of Paul contradicting and blaspheming. What were they doing? Gainsaying. <laughs> That's not true. What, what he's saying is not true. Well, hold on. It, it, is it Bible? Is it Bible? And so uh, it, the, the pastor is to be able to convince the gainsayer. So as, as the pastor is responsible to preach and communicate the word of God here, holding fast the word of God, I just want to bring us to a personal application. We are responsible as God's people to, to receive the word of God and to respond to it. All of us are, right? Wouldn't you agree with me? So the pastor is responsible to hold it fast, to not be vacillating on it, and to clearly communicate it and even exhort those that are contradicting it, is it not our responsibility to receive it? We find that in um, 1 Thessalonians 2 and verse number 13. For this cause also we thank God without ceasing because when ye received the word of God, which ye heard of us, ye received it not as the word of men. That's what a gainsayer would say. Ah, just man's words. That's just your opinion, right? Uh, but you received it as is, it is in truth, the word of God, which effectually worketh also in you that believe. Here's a, here's a really good idea for all of us. If you hear a preacher say something before, I mean, if, if we're talking, it, it's not clearly objectionable. It's not clearly contradicting God's word. You hear a preacher say something before you go and say, hey, just that's your opinion. Why don't you take a night and pray on it? Lord, what do you want me to do with this? Maybe it really ruffles the feathers. Lord, uh, this is hard for me to receive, but is this what you wanted me to hear tonight? And, and, and how do you want me to proceed with this and, and apply it into their life? The Bible tells us, 1 Thessalonians 5 and verse 20, despise not prophesying. What's prophesying here? The foretelling of truth. So don't despise it as a, as a believer. And so this is what God's instructions are to a pastor. And as I said at the beginning, a pastor is to be the example to the flock, and as such, that means the flock ought to be following in that, in that footsteps. Is a pastor perfect? No. If you follow me long enough, you're going to find out I'm not perfect. You're going to find some glaring errors that the Lord's still having to work on. You might even be annoyed with some of those, 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 glaring, uh, those glaring issues and, 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 and so on. But friends, the, the fact is this, is, this is what God has said. And by God's grace, I want to be that for this flock, and I want you to pray that the Lord will help me to be all of that and continue in, in these things. Acts 20, 28. Let's turn over there for a moment as we close this. Acts 20, 28. The instruction given to the Ephesian um, believers there uh, and the, the Ephesian elders. In verse number 28, as Paul is about to leave them, he says this. Notice he says in verse 27, for I have not shunned to declare unto you all the counsel of God. That's what I've tried to do. 
I've tried to open up the word of God and share it with you, is what Paul's saying. Now, here's your responsibility. Take heed, therefore, unto yourselves, there's his personal life, and to all the flock, there's his public ministry, over which the Holy Ghost has made you the overseer, and feed the church of God, and feed the church of God. There's his pulpit ministry, which, uh, which he has purchased with his own blood, which he has purchased with his own blood. What we are doing here tonight is a sacred, sacred thing. We've been bought by the blood of the Lord Jesus Christ. And God gifts to the church, Ephesians 4 and verse number 11 and 12, he gifts to the church uh, many gifts, including the evangelist, but also the pastor and the teacher, pastor-teacher, uh, for the perfecting of the saints, for the work of the ministry. And I, I ask you to pray for me. I pray for you, but I ask you to pray for me in this, this specific area. Uh, this is this is message to me, but also message to all of us because God says, all right, here's what the pastor is to be, but you follow the examples uh, of the pastor. Be an example of the, uh, of, the, of the believers in word and conversation and charity and spirit. And so let's pray together and ask the Lord to help us to be a church that's constantly moving forward. And I would just ask you right there as we bow together tonight, would you just even pray right now? I've invited you and asked you to pray um, for me, but pray about this matter. And then I would ask you to pray, pray, that you would follow the example. What God has listed out here in Titus, Lord, I want to follow these things. I want these things to be true of my life. Father, would you bless in this invitation time just as we, we simply bow before you here tonight. Lord, it, I pray that you would help us to be constantly uh, looking to move higher with you, to, uh, to grow more, and to, uh, to do that which honors you. And I pray that you would help me as, as pastor here, Lord, to to um, be diligent in all of these matters, and I pray that we as a congregation would continue to grow in them as well. In Jesus' name, amen. Just continue to pray there for a moment th um, this evening. Lord, I believe that you're going to continue to call people from our church to, uh, to, to take um, churches, to be missionaries, to be evangelists. Lord, I pray that even as the children have listened to this tonight, I pray that you would help them to seek to live according to these, to be an example of the believers and to, to follow after these on the example of this passage of Scripture. And I pray, Lord, that you would help us to be holy as your people. And Lord, I pray that we take the Christian life and following after you very, very seriously. And I pray, Lord, for those that are even here tonight that have the, the call of God upon their life, I pray that you would help them to, to be serious about these, these qualifications. And I ask that for 
myself here tonight. And I thank you for this church family and what you're doing here. We give you praise in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. I want you to turn in your hymnals 417. We won't sing it right now. We'll sing it before we leave tonight. And we're going to enjoy that song together. Uh, the prayer letter. Who's reading the prayer letter this evening? All right, Miss Mariah, would you come and uh, read that for us this evening? Who are you reading from? Laverne Wall. And as she comes, Miss Laverne is a, 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 just a warrior for the Lord. And her husband went to be with the Lord. But she is, come on up. She is uh, such a, a, a passionate person for the Lord. And so we're grateful to have people like her uh, serving as our, our missionaries as well. So go ahead and give us an update. All right, so this is a letter from Zimbabwe. And she says, first of all, I thank you most sincerely for your continued prayers, your concern for the Lord's work here, and for your faithful financial support, which enables his work to continue on, on this field. The people here are very open to the gospel, Amen. and having planted 11 churches, we are looking forward to planting many more from next year. Young pastors are in training to take on these new works, and we cover your prayers for them and for the outreach programs in the new areas. Stuart has been with the Lord 10 months now, and I deeply miss my precious friend and partner of 49 years. He loved the Lord and his work among the people with all his heart. I feel that God has called me to continue his work here in Zimbabwe until he takes me home. I was Stuart's hand and feet on the ground for a good number of years when he was very ill, and I feel that the Lord would have me continue in that role. Zimbabwe is a difficult field with many physical hardships and a government that oppresses its people. But I am used to all these things after many years here, and I'm thankful for the Lord for good health and much energy to continue in his role. Currently, here are the ministry opportunities the Lord has granted me. Teaching ladies and children in the churches. Organizing and hosting three to four Bible conferences each year for the training of our pastors and other leaders. I've included a picture of the church leaders from our last conference. God so blessed that the gathering with the U.S. pastor able to come to instruct and teach these dear men. Sourcing and administering medicine to our people. Medical facilities in Zimbabwe are very scarce. Pictured is Philip, one of our young men who needs, to me who needs medical care for throat cancer. Please pray for him. Sourcing food aid for all our churches. Our people are mostly subsistence farmers and have severely hampered by the three-year drought we have just come through and which threatens to persist. Getting supplies to more remote areas is difficult, but I am, to na I am able to navigate the rough roads in my Pedro successfully. Being a go-between the government and the churches to maintain securely and prevent violence against the Lord's people. They know that I have connections with the USA and are careful about what they do. The banks here have all, all but collapsed. I have to organize finances from the states to South Africa and then into Zimbabwe through a complex network. Finally, we have been able to acquire with much effort and help from an American church, a shipment from Shona Bibles. As you can see in the picture, they have arrived and are being delivered in the churches. I cannot express how much of a blessing these Bibles are to the people. Please pray for us for good rains and good harvests this season, both in crops and in souls. Again, my heartfelt thank you to, to you all. You can't see the pictures, but that's what she was referring to. Yeah. Thank you. And uh, maybe just put that out at the Welcome Center then and, and let people stop by and, and see that. Um, her, along with uh, 
I'm blanking on the name, Mrs. Perrow. And uh, these, these ladies have just continued on. I have a letter on my desk. These ladies are just continuing on for the Lord. And um, praise the Lord for their, they're just resolved to, to serve the Lord in their places. And what a blessing to be able to support people like that. Praise, praise the Lord. Let's stand and sing together. It is well with my soul. Now, let's not, let's not rush through this. Enjoy it together. It is well with my soul. 417. And uh, let's sing it as praise to the Lord before we leave tonight. They sang a hymn and went out. That's what we're going to do. When peace like a river attendeth my way. Lift it up with me as we sing. When peace like a river attendeth my way. When sorrows like sea roll whatever my lot thou hast taught me to say it is well it is well with my soul it is well with my soul. It is well, it is well with my soul. Though Satan should buffet, though trials should come, let Blessed assurance control that Christ has regarded my helpless estate and has shed his own blood for my soul. It is well.
day when my faith shall be sight, the clouds be rolled back as a scroll, the trump shall resound and the strength of the Lord tonight. Have a great week. Please him and it'll all be all right. God bless you. I'll see you on Tuesday night if you can come help. That would be wonderful. Tuesday night for Adventure Camp on Prop Prep. That would be wonderful. See ya. Have a great night.